playing the biggest rock bands of all time. Dirty Radio Classics. He is the only man to ever ace a Rorschach test. Every time he goes for a swim, dolphins appear. Alien abductors have asked him to probe them. If he were to give you directions, you'd never get lost, and you'd arrive at least five minutes early. His legend precedes him, the way lightning precedes thunder. He is... Troy Patrick Farrell. The most interesting man in the world. Start the party. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Welcome to this, that, and the other with your host, a true rock god. Come on, man. Troy Patrick Farrell. Now get ready, cause here comes the host. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Troy Patrick Farrell. Hey, it's Les Warner from the Cold. Montrose and Raiding the Rock Vault. You're listening to This, That and the Other with Troy Patrick Farrow on Dirty Radio Classics. Anyway, uh, Les Warner, drummer of the electric album The Cult, second drummer of the band, Vegas resident, studio rat, has a studio, does a lot of cool stuff. I found a Phil Sassoon tune. I found, I, I kind of dug into his archives, found his discography, Found some really cool stuff. We had Turbo Lover by the Sin City All-Stars, of which, from what I understand, Les played drums on that. And uh, we're going to also spin some more tracks from the Electric album from 87. We're going to talk about how he got into the cult and consequently out of the cult. What he's doing here in Vegas. Uh, Not only does he play drums in a couple of uh, bands here in town, mostly doing some cover stuff, he's got a brand new project, which... I'm completely unaware of until today, called Custard Pie. We're going to find out what is up with that. Uh, Also, what else is he doing? He did this Phil Susan tune. There's a band called the Hellfire Club, Becky Bond. I mean, we're going to get into all of it, this, that, and the other radio show here. Les Warner is my guest, drummer, and also bass player in a couple of different bands in town, doing some uh, tribute stuff to kind of keep the chops up and stay busy, but... uh, He's got a nice, cool little studio, does a lot of his own recording of drums for many artists and uh, jingles and commercials and all sorts of stuff. So we're going to find out, uh, dig deep into the past a little bit and uh, also talk about his future with Custard Pie and where he sees himself in five, ten years here living in Las Vegas, what his plans are. Uh, He does play in a couple of tribute bands, doing a Tom Petty, doing a Kid Rock. He's in a band called The Dead Boys uh, where he plays bass guitar. Just got off a fall tour there. So he's out there still hustling like a kid. And uh, and I, I want to know where he finds the inspiration because I got to tell you, I don't think I have it. I don't have that inspiration. Who are these people? Anyway, uh, so let's do some brand new stuff. We're also going to get some news in. Uh, we'll talk about... Uh... Oh, you know what that means. When the beginning of The Man with the Golden Arm begins, that means we've got a guest on this that the other radio show, Dirty Radio.fm, heard live and alive on Dirty Radio Classics here. Each and every Wednesday from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then when we do that dumb shit about changing our clocks, it's Pacific Daylight Savings Time. Oh, isn't that fun? Hey, how about uh, USA beating Iran? Really went for it at the end there. All right, hey, let's call Les Warner, former drummer of the cult, now doing Raiding the Rock Vault, subbing out for Blas Elias out there with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, also drummer of Slaughter, which, and uh, does like a kid rock band, out with the uh, Dead Boys playing bass, Petty and the Heart Shakers, Tom Petty Tribute Band, 
Get to see Les uh, occasionally here at our favorite venue in Las Vegas on Sahara. Counts Vamped. VampedVegas.com. You might often see the Petty and the Heart Shakers and uh, Sweet Home Alabama, a gig that I occasionally do. All right, we're going to call Mr. Wanna. Here we go, kids. I'll write it. We'll do it live. Yeah, hit the button. I'm ringing it. Oh, yeah. There we go. Shit's getting real. Hello. Hey, Les Warner. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How you doing? Hey, not too bad for the shape I'm in. You are live and alive here on Dirty Radio FM, Channel 2 Dirty Radio Class- Classics. My oh. God, Les, I can't even. I haven't even had one beer yet today. You're on, <laughs> you're on this, that, and the other radio show on a live Wednesday. What's happening? Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy. You are happening, man. Uh, you had a session today, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of obviously want to talk about uh, the heyday in the cult and how you got in sure. and how you got out and uh, your your move to America and then ultimately your move here to Las Vegas and, and what you've been doing and what you what you think the next five years looks like for you. Oh my God. I know. I it, it's only a three-hour interview. It's all good. I'm, get, uh. <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll, we'll skip a lot of the details so we get to do this again and fill any spaces yeah. that we miss. So uh, let, let's talk about... Uh, your, your uh, notable time in the band The Cult on uh, a huge album. I think to this date, their biggest album. Is that true? You know, uh, it's, it's, I think it was the album that defined them. You know what I mean? I think the idea of doing that record was to, to make it in America. You know what I mean? To make it a, big, a bigger crowd, a bigger um, impact. Uh, and I think that's what Rick Rubin was talking about when we recorded the album. You know, you need to do a rock rap record and, and it needs to cut through everything that's going on, you know. And I think the way we did that was um, we basically made it a very, very dry record. Uh, at the time when that record came out, all the other stuff was completely shredded with uh, reverb, like, you know, Billy Idol's record all of the hair bands, I mean, it's all gated reverbs and, you know what I'm saying? And when we did the record with Rick Rubin, it was completely dry. He took away all our effects and everything, gave me a four-piece drum kit, uh, gave Billy a Marshall and a Les Paul, and like, all right, play, you know, and I'm going to record what you play. Uh, and I think uh, doing that, was a, it was a big surprise to everybody when we came out with that record. Uh, and some people hated it, <laughs> especially in England. But it, uh, again, it, it actually worked. It, it cut through everything. So, what what genre would you say? You know, because I know it, it's it's uh, a terrible habit because we like to put everybody in a box. We like to go, you know, well they're they're part of this or that scene or genre. What uh, where do you think the cult was on the first couple of albums versus that album, Electric, that big album? Well, I tell you, if you watch the videos, you know the compilation videos. When it gets to electric, it's like, oh, oh, did I change the DVD? <laughs> because <laughs> it really is different. I mean, uh, you know, the first couple of records were very sort of uh, gothic even. Sure, well, okay. were band. They were a goth band when I joined them. Uh, and then when he did the Love album, they sort of steered more into sort of classic rock-ish with the, with, you know, with the uh, gothic style. Uh, and then... By the time we hit electric, it was completely different, like a rock band, and that was it. You know, everything changed at that point. Was that change uh, as you were in the band, or were they already kind of getting steered in that direction? And was there any resistance to, you know, at least a little bit of an image change and the way that Rick Rubin produced that album? Was there were there any, uh, you know, in, not I don't say fighting, but you know, not plates getting thrown across the room, but was there any tension in the direction that, you know, because a producer has a big influence on on a band and. Uh, did, did you notice, like, if, uh, you know, uh, you know, Billy had any issues with uh, getting pushed in a certain direction, or was it kind of natural for them? Well, this is the story. Um, we recorded the Electric album in Oxford, in, in England, uh, Richard Branson's studio, uh, with the same producer that did the Love album, okay. uh, Steve Brown. Um, and what happened is, sonically, there were some issues with it, you know? Um 
And so they took it to New York to play it for Rick Rubin. Said, Rick, could you mix this? And Rick said, absolutely not. I'm not going to mix this. But if you want to do a rock record with me, we'll redo a rock record. And that's how it happened. You know, they basically, Rick Rubin said, um, you know, hey, this is what I'm offering. Uh, and they completely went, went in with that. They were happy with that. So I got the call, you know, expecting my job done. Uh, nope, we're going to New York at Christmas. We're re-recording the album. Wow, so you guys had to retrack everything. Now, didn't those oh, yeah. didn't those original recordings get put out like in a, a, a some sort of compilation later called something uh, the Peace tr- Sessions yes, or something? It, okay, yes, it was like Peace on one side and Electric on the other side. Yeah, um, yeah. What were the um, and, What were the notable differences between those initial that initial recording, aka demos, versus what Rick Rubin did? Well, again, you know, the, the stuff was flooded with reverb. Gotcha. I mean, it was more like the Love album, um, and we recorded everything to a click. We did a lot of drop-ins. There was a lot of guitar overdubs on that record. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And and we went completely the opposite way with Rick Rubin. No, you know, no, no, no not really any overdubs at all, um, and no drop-ins and no click. I literally had to play with no click and no drop-ins. Wow. So the pressure was on, you know, and, and it is what it is. Whatever you play goes on the record. So if I mess up a drum fill, it's going on the record. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of pressure. And I feel like uh, to the advantage of the record, actually, there was a lot of nervous tension, uh, I think, during the, the drum tracks. And I think they added to the excitement of the record. You know? Yeah, well, you know, and, and you do in modern day today a lot of session work and you have a studio. And we'll we'll kind of get into all that and break down, uh, you know, that approach that you do now, uh, you know, eight, how many, 30 plus years later. Um, what uh, what notable, so you, you mentioned the tension and it, it's live and we're going to tape and, and yeah. after we finish this track, we're going on to the next one and whatever's yeah. there is there. Uh, how do you compare recording an album that way, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, innocent, uh, sort of nervous, like, here we go, we're, we're pushing all the chips in, all in, yeah. versus today where, you know, we've got a lot of uh, luxuries of, you know, not having to splice tape and not, you know, everything's digital, everything's on a click, you put it to a grid, you can take that little kick drum if it's a little off yeah. and you can just copy and paste it over. What? How do you feel about the, the differences from, you know, recording that album with Rick Rubin where what you see is what you get? versus today having all these luxuries of technology well i mean they had those technologies when we did the electric album but rick rubin chose not to do it you know he's a purist you know like rick rubin is like a fan of bands he's a fan first and foremost um and he just gets the great engineers to come in and get the great sounds and again he's a purist there's one drop in on that whole record and i had to beg the engineer to let me do it and he said okay as long as you don't tell rick rubin (laughs) right but to answer your question you know since then i've never been in that situation where i've not used a click i mean there's there's a lot of advantages to doing that and and the client all my clients they want it because they can edit it they can do so many things with it sure uh what i'm saying because of the technology and and i hated that whole gated drum sound back in the uh in the 80s you know i i quantizing uh i did a session with i did a session with hookers and blow uh a couple of years ago before the pandemic you know alex grossi and all that dizzy reed yeah uh-huh and um i won't mention who the engineer is but we did uh sad is all right for fighting elton john a cover okay and, and and we did a great version, you know. The drums it's exciting. The, the drums sounded great. Um, but what happened is the engineer, sort of semi-producer, quantized the drums so much, and, and and completely lost the feel of the song. You know what I mean? Because um, sometimes it's, your, it's out of your control. Once you've done the session, they're in control. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so for you sure. Don't have any say. So like, I, I, I love what I did on that record. And even 
the guys in Hookers and Blows said, yeah, well, we, we had to play with the quantized drums, and it made us sound sterile, you know? Yeah, so, interesting, because they're, hear, they're hearing, with, you know, where it's not that in-your-face drum sound, you know, when they... We explain for the kids out there quantizing drums, just so we all know what we're talking about. Quantize is when you make a drum track that a human does into like sounding like a machine, and that's wrong. You know, it's the wrong way to go. You know, the in, in, in you know when you mess up or not mess up, but human error is is great. It's a feel thing. I mean, you listen to Led Zeppelin three. And it's like it's all over the place, you know. And but it's a feel. It's it's uh, it's humans playing music, and that's the way it should be. Rock and roll, anyway, at least. You know what I mean? No, for you sure. Can, you can overdo it, but you can make it sound like a machine, you know. And it's awful. I hate it. Well, you know, think about uh, you know any Leonard Skinner album, or think about uh, you know that that awesome GNR album. I mean, could you imagine oh, yeah. putting putting that to a click? I mean, and a lot and a lot of people did today that are purists and you know maybe have some musical background, you know, hear the band today live and all those those although the songs are still amazing, that swing that Steven Adler has is just irreplaceable. Yeah. Once you start putting yeah. you know guys on a click, so you know you're you can uh, you know hook up your light show and and you know hook up all your graphics to it. It, it, you know, some of those songs really lose the spirit of what they were of of those those five guys in that room, not really knowing what they were doing, but yeah. there was something there, and but, it, it took that natural element to capture that. But you can still you can still swing using a click if the drummer's got a click. You can play around a click. I mean. I, I worked with some engineers, and they made me laugh. They said, oh, let, uh, the click follows Les, <laughs> you know, which is a great compliment, you know. But um, I make it feel, even with a click, I can make it feel good, you know what I mean? Because I, I play behind it. I play behind the click. Yeah. I'm not right on it, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. You know, there are certain instances when you want to bury that click if you're in a... You know, there's certain bands where they just need that that uh, that downbeat just right on it. And and you know, in a yeah. classic rock band, it, you know, in the school that you grew up in, in the school that I grew up in, you know, that yeah. that snare can kind of you know almost flam to the click a little bit and be you know, and, yeah. then, and then it can pick up a little bit as you go into the chorus. Maybe that snare comes just a smidge earlier because the energy is moving forward, and uh, and that's the the naturalness. And, and and it is really difficult, and it takes a special mm. drummer to be able to not play to the click, but to be able to play around it or like they've said to you is that click plays to les you know right and i mean you if you put a, a metronome to uh say wildflower there's three different tempos during that song you know um and uh you know it's like a little you, you sort of speed up a little bit when it comes to the guitar solo and then maybe you might back down again when it comes to the chorus you know and it gives a real feel you know and, and again there's that nervous energy um, and I think it worked on that record, you know, the nervous energy. I had to do the whole record in one week. I think five days, all backing tracks were done. How uh, how prepared were you guys for that? Did you guys do a lot of pre-production? No. None? No, no. We did pre-production for the first sure. version uh, with with Steve Brown, but we rewrote re rewrote the record. I mean, Rick Rubin rewrote the record as we were doing as we were recording it so you could imagine didn't even know the songs each day yeah you had to throw out everything that you had recorded yep. and then it's one of those situations yep. when the song when the album's done then you actually have to listen to the album to learn the songs you know because because you're you're each sort day. of figuring yeah wow each day i mean it's pretty much you know all right this is a new song bang let's do it all right that's a good take all right, let me, Rick, let me do it one more time, okay? Let me, one more time. And I, I hate some of the roles on that record. Oh, my, I cringe so bad. There's stuff on it that I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't he take that off? Like, you know, like hi-hat bits in between stuff. You know, I mean, in a normal situation, you'd sort of think, well, why didn't they mute the hi-hat there? Yeah, you know so, so yeah, in the break, so it's not counting. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, like at the beginning of uh, Love Removal Machine, like just that, ka, 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 
Taco Bell, you know, because yeah. hey, even, well, even that beginning, Phil is great, but having that hi-hat in there really just kind of puts you in the rehearsal room with the band when you're listening to it. That's the sense I get from it. Yeah. I, I really like that that uh, that feeling yeah, but of there, being there. There is okay. There is okay, but I think it was Peace Dog, I think. There was, uh, there was some breaks that would break down. And then my hi-hat's going. I'm like, why didn't they take that off? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. But, again, it is what it is, and it's a successful record. I think it's uh, double platinum, I think. I think it's double platinum. It has to be by now. It was certified platinum. I don't know how long ago, but uh, I would imagine yeah. that uh, that album yeah. uh, is, is but bigger. I, 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 I looked it up, and I think that's the only one that's double platinum. I, um, I'm not sure. I think Love went platinum. I don't know, but... Um, I mean, their big sort of American success story, I think, was like you know, Sonic Temple. That's when they they com they combined the Electric album with the Love album and got the sort of a, a mix between it. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the album with like Firewoman and all that. That's sort of more produced, bigger. You know, Bob Rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely a big band, and uh, you know, kind of on a nostalgia run where they're out there to, to you know, a heritage band becoming that heritage kind of classic rock band, even though they don't really fit in that uh, realm. Right. But uh, yeah. you know, let's let's reverse a little bit. We you know we hopped right into the studio and uh, we're there with Rick Rubin. H- how did you get into the band? Uh, it sounded like they had, uh, based on what I heard, a, a cattle call. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. we, you know, I've been to a few of those and they, they don't always end up well because you got to find yeah. a way to stand out. How did you stand yeah, well, out to I'll get explain. that gig? Yeah, I'll explain what I did. So my manager put me up for the gig and then another guy who knew Billy put me up for the gig. So 160 drummers went for the gig. So I got on a bus from London and went up to Stanford or whatever. It's like an hour, hour and a half on a bus Walked in there with my drumsticks, and I looked pretty good then. I, I mean, I had a good image, you know. My hair was great, I, you know, red leather pants. I mean, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix shirt, skinny as hell, you know. Um, and I walked in there, and they we recorded, like, we did She Sells Sanctuary, okay? Uh, everyone's familiar with that. Sure. Uh, in that song, there's a is a roll. Brap-a-ba, brap-a-ba, brap, right? Everyone knows that fucking roll, right? I can I swear I'm, I'm you absolutely can you're good you're good oh, okay good uh anyway um so I didn't do the role I thought you know I want to stand out here so I'm not good I'm gonna be defiant I'm not gonna do the role you know I bet you like 159 drummers did that role <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and I made sure I stood out I made sure I wanted to do you know I said yeah I heard the song you know what I mean I, I just saw sort of defiant um, and then I went home and then I got a call the next day. Oh, we want you to come back for a second audition. I'm like, okay. And that was in London. So I went down to the studio where we were auditioning and I'm the only guy there. <laughs> it was me. I got the job. Wow. That and was it. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It's what, crazy. What were you doing before that? Uh, just playing locally there in uh, London? Well, I was doing session work. I, I played with Julian Lennon before that. Uh, I went on and did some touring with Randy California from Spirit. Uh, I, I played in about three bands in, in town. Uh, I was just really determined to make it. I was like focused, you know, every day. I, I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do this. This is my dream. This is what I want to do. You know what I mean? And, and it came true. It came true. Tell me a little bit about the work with Julian Lennon, uh, you know, because it, it sounds like you have a, a pretty reputable history prior to the call, which really, by you know all accounts, yeah. was your big break. But you, you know, you were doing some legit stuff. Tell me uh, what yeah. you did with Julian. I did actually Julian's first uh, demos, and uh, we recorded two songs from Double Fantasy Record, uh, his father's record. Oh, okay. Uh, he had this manager guy and. Uh, you know, a, a guitar player, Carlos Morales, uh, brought me in for the session. Uh, we did it at a Queen studio in London. Um, and then I used to hang out with Julian a bit. And, uh, and then I, I worked with Lemmy's son as well. I spent a few years working with Paul uh, Kilminster um, when he was really young. And we had a lot of managers hanging out. And I, I did the club scene. I did a lot of uh, social, uh, you know, socializing back then. 
Uh, our manager was like the big club guy in, in London, uh, Peter Stringfellow. He owned all the, the huge clubs. So we were pretty much living it up, <laughs> you know, uh, having a lot of fun back then, you know. And then, oh, then I auditioned for ACDC. Oh, wow. How did, tell me about that. I got on the top five on that. And uh, I, it was interesting. It was funny. So I went down to this studio called Nomis in London. Um, and I walked into the, one of the big rooms in there, and they had a drum kit on a stage, a big PA, and it was like some of the management or the crew and stuff like So they put up like a couple of songs, an ACDC song I played with, and then they, <laughs> they were having a laugh. They, they put on that song Black Dog by, uh, you know, Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. And if you know that song, in the middle of that song, it's like the guitar goes completely out of time with the drums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I didn't really know it that well. And I knew it by listening to it, but I never played it before. And, and they were having a laugh. You know, you could tell they were like, a lot of drums came in and probably messed that up completely. <laughs> you know? But anyway, I did that. I did another ACDC song. Then they gave me some cassettes. Remember cassettes? Uh, yeah, you? back in the day. <laughs> Anyway, they gave me some cassettes, said I'll learn this one, that one, and that one. Uh, and so I left there, I, I went back to my uh, my um, home, and I was pretty much air drumming all weekend. Uh, and then I got the call on Monday, said they got someone, but I was in the top five, so that was pretty cool. Did you ever get a chance to play with a band, or did they put you, uh, no, just, you just played no. in a room with a PA with music yeah. playing, gotcha. <laughs> playing with the backing tracks, yeah. So we get into uh, what year? What year did you get into the cult? Is it 86, 87? eight seven? Eight, late eighty five. Eighty five, gotcha. Late, okay. late, yeah, late eighty five. Joined them, rehearsed. Then we went to Japan. That was the first thing we did. Went straight to Japan, and this was my big break. You know, so I was like, wow, you know, oh my god, I'm in a big band. You know, it was bizarre. I went to Japan, and then uh, we toured. I toured the whole of the uh, Love album. Uh, in, in 80, 86, uh, did all the videos, most of the videos for that, uh, record. Uh, and then, uh, we went in, started writing, you know, working with, with uh, Steve Brown on, on the electric album. Gotcha. Let me ask you, the, what, what were some of the bands, were you out there headlining or, uh, or support act? I obviously probably depended on the market, but what were some of the bands that either you took out, the cult took out or other bands that you supported, maybe making the, the trip across the pond? Did you guys tour the, uh, the States? Yeah. So we, we, uh, Guns N' Roses opened up for us, you know, because it's before they yeah, made it. Wow. Wow. They, they toured with us, I think, on the Electric album. When we did the Love album, we, we opened for David Bowie here and there. Uh, we did like a 90,000 seat or 90,000 in uh, Paris for David Bowie. We opened up for like Simple Minds, you know, really big gigs. And then we, we toured America and Australia. We took out uh, the Divinals, came out with us, uh, you know, a bunch of bands. Zodiac Mind Walk. Oh yeah! Wow, think think yeah. of the think of the crossover though uh, of the band. You're mentioning Guns N' Roses, Zodiac Mind Warp, The Divinals, right? Simple Minds, yeah. David Bowie. The cult sort of works with all of them. It's it's kind of interesting because yeah. they they are in that goth, but they're also that rock, you know, and that kind of gritty. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, wow, wow, crazy. I don't know if you want to divulge this or not, but uh, what would what would a touring member? Were you? Did you guys have like a? Were you a, a full band member or were you a, a hired guy? Because you know things, well, things are very different these days. Yeah, that well, that was sort of the issue. You know, I mean, as far as I, they were concerned, or I was concerned, I joined the band. Yeah, sure. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's an awful word. You know. <laughs> yeah. It, Which one? It, on this planet it's called greed yeah yeah you know and unfortunately that's why i'm not living in the mansion right now <laughs> but you know what i'm happy and uh and I, I love doing what i do and i still am doing what i do so i'm blessed you know uh but basically they they sort of treated me like i was a member of the band and then when we parted it was like oh no you were just a hired gun you know, whatever, you know. What so, would, what would uh, like, you know, a drummer in your position in the cult, uh, in, in that heyday for you during that album, 
what would uh, what would somebody because a lot of people don't really know what guys make. They think that you know, and even this day and age, they think a lot of these guys are out there, you know, because they're rock stars and they're playing big stages. They think everybody that is on a stage is rich. And meanwhile, a lot of these guys have side gigs. They do different things. They maybe they run studios. Some people own like printing companies, different things like that. What would a, a guy, you know, give or take? Uh, on tour, what would you, what might you take home in a week back in those days? You know, uh, yeah, in well, mid eighties. Again, again, you know, I wasn't part of the pu- publishing. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you know, so I wasn't getting any royalties. So basically, I was on a wage. You know, I don't even remember what it was. You know, um, but yeah, you know, I get bonuses now and then. But I w- I wasn't part of the writing team. Uh, the merchandising, they pretty much took that as well. It was, it, it wasn't a very fair situation. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you know, if it was, if I joined you too, it would have been a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Did you get yeah. uh, mechanicals? And, and for those that don't know, and you probably know better than I, but, you know, when you play on an album and you don't write it, you get the mechanicals for yeah. at least the performance. You, and, and and I think that's not dictated by the band. You just get that, right? And But you yeah. have to sort of apply for it. And There's a company called PPL in, in England, and there's a company out here in America called, uh, what's it called? Sound Solutions. Or so, yeah. Sound and and you basically get playing royalties. So every quarterly, I get a little check. You know, it's not all right. A lot so, so yeah, but you get a little bit of mailbox money. You know, yeah, something. Yeah, you know, which is fine. You know, it's just good. Again, I, I'm I'm just happy that I can still do what I do. I, I love playing, and I'm right in the middle of doing Rock Vault right now, which is an awesome show. You know, in town. Yeah, for right. sure. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, I've been I've been playing bass as well, which I love. I love playing bass guitar. I just came off the road with the Dead Boys, and basically I'm a Dead Boys still. Um, so I'm going to be going to Australia with them in in March. Somebody, I'm not familiar with that band. What what is it? Is that like a punk kind of a um, punk band or? Yeah, they were a punk band from the seventies. Um, there's a film about CBGBs you can watch, and they're all over that. They're in that film. They were like the equivalent of the Sex Pistols in in in, in America at gotcha. the time. You know, Cheetah Crone's a guitar player. Uh, they all hung out in New York, CBGBs and stuff. They did two records, uh, but they were a real punk band. I mean, the, the, the Stiff Batus was the singer. Uh, he had a band called Lords of the New Church after that. Sure. As well. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, I've, I've been working with um, Cheetah, Cheetah Chrome, uh, on a few things. So I just said, no, I don't want to play drums, Cheetah. I want to play bass. <laughs> so he said, all right. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I want to talk about that transition in just a second because you're playing bass uh, or you have in the past with mm. a couple different acts here in town and, and on the road. Let's talk about your exit from the cult and what, what you do immediately after that. Can you talk a little bit about that separation and, and, and when and why you why you left that band in, in such uh, a pivotal time in their career? Yeah, again, it, it was, yeah, I don't really like talking much about it, but it, it was a pretty unfair situation. Um, again, rather than really take care of their people, um, they decided to um, not deal with it. So it was either they were going to take care of me and bring me into the fold and be fair, sure, or get rid of me. And so they, they just, and... yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, again, it's that word. It's that awful word that's actually going to destroy this whole plan. <laughs> Greed, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a sad thing. thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just I, I'm a musician, so um sensitive but uh you know it, it is what it is uh, i did my time um and i'm proud of what i did that record you know um i'm proud of what i did live uh, and then I, I got a band i had a band in in london with uh the bass player from killing joke uh paul raven uh and the guitar player from finn lizzie uh, we did a, a band called the hellfire club uh and i continued doing session work but I wasn't really happy with England, so I wanted to move. So I moved to New York in 1992. And you moved to New York City. Oh, which which guitar player in Thin Lizzy did you play with? Uh, Brian Robson. Wow. Did you uh, yeah. do any? Was he in that band, the Hellfire Club? Yeah. We oh, interesting. Short, yeah, we had a short stint with him. It was it didn't last that long, but yeah, he was amazing, incredible. And, and Paul Raven from Killing Joke. Oh, 
my God, he's a great bass player, you know? Yeah, I'm spinning uh, Heaven Can Wait right now. You can't hear it, but our listeners can just underneath the uh, the chat here. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, one last thing about: Do you ever see any of the guys in the call? Do you ever, you know, share Not pleasantries? Really. Not really. I mean, Jamie. I got on with Jamie pretty well. The bass player. Bass player. But, yeah, sure. You know, we, we talk now and then, but not really. You know, not really. I don't really see them. Uh, John John Tempasta called me when they were out here doing electric, doing another electric thing. Uh, and he asked me, he said, oh, you want to come up and play? I said, yeah, uh, sure, man. But, <laughs> but he's never going to do that. So yeah. that's laughable, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you make your way across the pond to uh, New York City. Yeah. How, how was that? I mean, because, you know, I, I moved from uh, near Chicago to California, and that was pretty monumental, but nothing near, you know, the move that you made. Uh, what was what was that like for you, coming to New York City? I mean, you yeah, know. I, well, I love New York. I always felt a home in New York, you know, and uh, basically I, I uh, opened a jingle house. I, I did music for film and TV because I love writing. I love composing. And so I opened the jingle house, um, lived in New York pretty much 10 years. Uh, I met my wife there. Um, and then 9-11 happened and uh, we basically moved out to Vegas, you know. So you've been in Vegas for, what, 20 years? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Holy cow! You're you're one you're one of the uh, like the founding fathers of Vegas, bro. I think you're right. There was no rock and roll here when I came back. <laughs> now it's here. Now we can we can thank you or blame you depending. Ah, <laughs> I know. Why weird. why Vegas? Uh, well, my friend, I have a friend here, Ron Mancuso. Sure, okay. Uh, owns the Bootlegger Bistro. He's a producer, and I met him in New York. And he said, "Hey, man, come out. It's great out here." The sun, you'll have a swimming pool, everything. Because <laughs> me, me and my girlfriend, we were living in an apartment, a little horrible little apartment in Queens that was costing us a fortune um, and sharing it with cockroaches. You know, it was awful. <laughs> and, awful. They, and they don't pay rent. Oh, <laughs> they just eat God. your food. <laughs> you know, it was bad. So after 9-11, you know, I, we decided to move and we moved into a beautiful apart, you know, apartment here. It was awesome. You know, for like half the money. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you know, a lot of the guys from uh, Los Angeles have uh, over the, the the past ten years have made the move here because you know you can kind of double your money. You get uh, you know twice the place for half the price. No doubt, no doubt. So we were loving it, you know. And then I started just playing in the scene, um, and then I got I was still doing session work. Uh, but uh, you know, things. I mean, it's great. I love it now. I got a great house now with uh, amazing studio that i built um during the pandemic i built a studio here uh and you know got some finances and and got dw gave me a drum kit to use and uh you know it's been great things have been really good you know being in the business so long and 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 experiencing the ups and downs that musicians do you know uh in and out of the cult moving to America, New York, that huge tragic event, and then finding somebody to say, hey, I got a spot for you. You come out here to Vegas in uh, 2001. Yeah. How do you still, in this day and age here, in modern day time, 2022, find the energy to you know stay as busy as you do, You know, setting up drums or going out and you know tuning up your bass? I know that you love it, but I mean, I love it too, because at the end of the day we're drummers or musicians we do we play our instrument that's what we do whatever it is but i gotta tell you there's those days where you know i'm just like oh another sound check or another four hour set tonight how do you find the energy to do that uh what, well, is, what inspires you well just you know just um playing with great musicians you know i like being around people you know what I mean? I, I did a stint of acting in New York as well when I was there. And I just love the, com the camaraderie of, of everyone working together for the same for the same thing, you know? Um, uh, I mean, I'm in a Tom Petty tribute band, and I love Tom, Tom's music. It's great. That inspires me. Inspires me playing with good people. I love traveling as well. I like flying out somewhere. Yeah. And then back. You know, I really enjoy that. And coming back to Vegas. You know, I don't like playing too much in town here. You know, I, I you know I like just 
you know, flying out somewhere and then coming back. You know, are you, uh, are, you are you sick of the van rides and the and the the well, the drum rider that's not co- correct or the bass rig that's wrong? Or yeah, do you really. just kind of tolerate that? Tolerate it? You yeah. just don't care? Part of course, you know. I mean, I I don't I I couldn't do a nine to five job. I mean, I'm just grateful I don't have to do that. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so so actually, when I went out with the Dead Boys recently. Uh, we went out. It's the first time I've actually been on tour for the longest time because uh, I normally just do flyouts. You know, weekend here, uh, maybe five days maximum. You know, but we were going to go out for a thirty-day tour. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my god, do I really- <laughs> yeah. I'm going to miss my girlfriend. I'm going to miss my dog. I mean, oh my god, is- can I really do this? And I- a few people said, yeah, you've got to do it, man. You've got to do it. It's going to be great. So, and that's hardcore that was hardcore literally um, flew out to austin to the rehearsals and then we got the van and the van was like a ford van with like 15 seater yeah you know cramped up in there i mean it was like i was paying my dues <laughs> but you've but, pay, but you've paid your dudes dues for decades and and well, i just was, i just that admire that inspiration to, to be able to that, go out there yeah, and do that, it that was drums now I'm paying my dues playing bass. Ah, gotcha. Well, I, I love playing bass. I want to talk about that switch to bass. You know, is it something that you've already played anyway? Or are you kind of a multi-instrumentalist? No, I, I used to mess around with bass when I used to write. I used to write on bass a lot. Uh, and then well, I got into it in a weird way. Um, I knew this U2 tribute band, and the manager approached me and said, well, the uh, bass player wants to go on guitar, and the guitar player is going away. Do you want to play bass? I'm like, yeah, you know what? Why not? Because, you know, I like to have, um, you know, something to strive for. I, I, you know, I like to have that, you know. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? So I, I fell in love with just playing the bass live. It was great standing up, you know, and, and doing it. And, you know? and, and being a little bit more up front, though, because, you know, yeah. as drummers, we're kind of in the back oh, a little yeah. bit with four or five guys in front of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love being up front. And, and uh, I, I, did a, I did this um, award ceremony with uh, Tony Franklin, you know, from the firm. Absolutely, yeah, fretless. So we were doing this <laughs> award ceremony. I think it was Rock Gods or something. And I'm sitting behind the kit and Tony's standing right next to me and they're talking and they're... And then, like, Tony completely breaks wind right in front of me, <laughs> right? And he looks at me, like, with this grin on his face. <laughs> I'm looking down and I'm like, you disgusting sod. For God's sake, man, you vegetarian fart are you, you know? Because you can't go anywhere. You're locked <laughs> in. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. So that's it. I'm going to go and play bass i'm gonna go on stage and i'm gonna be able to do that i'm gonna be able to have a breathe <laughs> walk over to the drummer and then do it and walk away again i want to do that yeah just know? crop dust that stage but that was that was the deciding point where i'm okay i'm doing bass you know what i mean that is awesome <laughs> I, I love the instrument i got some really nice bass guitars and i do love the instrument so much you know yeah, you know, I, I came across uh, something that, with Phil Susan. Did you play on that track, Nobody's Fool? Uh, I did play on a track for him um, during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was the one or not. He hasn't He hasn't told me that he finished it or anything. I should probably give him a call. Yeah, well, if he, if, uh, if he owes you any money, because I found it and I played it, and it's actually a great tune, and, uh, and if you play drums on it, it's a fantastic take for sure. Um, he, said I, he said I played on it. No, no, I, 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 you know, listen, I did some uh, googling, googling of your name, and and uh, that video came up, and and it's mentioned in an interview that he just did, and I'll I'll make sure to send you the link for yeah, that so please. you have it because because it came up and I played the song and I was like I'm not sure if he's on this, but yeah. I think if he is, it's it's pretty darn good. Um, yeah, wow, Phil Susan, nobody's fool. and uh, he just did, I believe it just got released two months ago. And then mm. I see Last in Line's Phil Susan new solo single video, Nobody's Full, featuring Phil X and Les Warner. And oh, wow. He, yeah, really? so I think you're on it, and it's a fantastic oh, take. Yeah. So if he well, owes I, don't, I, I did it as a favor for him. Oh, well, I was going to say, if he owes you any money, I'll take 10%. No, <laughs> no it wasn't about the money. We, me and Phil have known each other for a long time, a long time. 
Uh, me and Phil Leonard used to go into his bar, the 24-hour bar that he worked at. Hang on a second. All right, so you're hanging out with Phil Phil Leonard, Leonard, yeah. Thin, yeah. Thin Lizzy? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. What? Hey, yeah, I used give to go to his house every weekend and stuff, yeah. You got to give me one, your your end-all, be-all. If you're going to tell one Phil story, what, what would it be? <laughs> We're huge Thin Lizzy fans on this, that, and the other. Well, Phil, he was my hero, Phil. When I was 13, I saw the Jailbreak uh, tour. Uh, just, you know, and uh, and actually, Carlos Morales, the guy that got me the Julian Lennon session, he introduced me to Phil. Uh, he called Phil up and said, Phil, yeah, I want to come over. I got my friend with me. And, he, and Phil said, well, is he big or small? Which <laughs> means, is he a star or is he not, a, you know, up and coming? Okay. He, that was his way of doing that. And we, we, uh, we went to his house. I mean, oh, my God, I was like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because I love Phil. He was, you know, my, I love, you know, his energy and his writing. For sure. And, and you know, but he had a temper. But he, in his house, so in his house, he's got this little room with a jukebox in it, right? No women allowed. <laughs> no women allowed in this little room. So we also go in there, obviously, do naughty things, you know, drugs and stuff like that. When you're young, you can do that. But, um... You know, Phil. Phil was just awesome. I, I, I loved him. You know, it's so unfortunate what happened to him, but you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I used to go there every weekend. Did you ever have the opportunity to uh, jam or do any music with them? Or well, it was just about to get to that point. You know, I just joined the cult and I was touring a lot, and then I went round to uh, Phil's place and he said to me, "Les, when you get back, man, we got to get in the studio. You got to come o- come over because he had his own studio, and we got to do some jamming." And then, uh, then suddenly he was dead. He was gone. I was like, oh, my God, you know, really? Yeah. You know, because he was my hero. I mean, I would have loved, I mean, I jammed with him a couple of times at some of these parties and stuff. But uh, that was about it, you know? But, yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, not even ever meeting him in person. So in, in my household, my older brother is a bass player, and uh, you know, we would wake up to go to school to you know Van Halen, Thin Lizzy, Aerosmith, Dio, but always a lot of Thin Lizzy. And Thin Lizzy was was a very important part of uh, you know his oh. life, and became ultimately a very important part of my life, just musically, you know, yeah. and uh, and and just even seeing the documentaries or seeing them on film, or yeah. you know, there's an energy there that that not very many people oh. have and so oh they were so amazing live and and brian downey really influenced me a lot his swing uh i mean growing up before i joined the cult like i really cut my teeth on r&b not like not the r&b you guys have out here but the shuffles and the blues r&b uh-huh that's what i i put the first bands i joined like johnny mars and the seventh son big harmonica guy uh, I play with some of the guys from Dr. Feelgood. I mean, I was doing all the shuffles. And I think that's where I got my swing from, you know, doing that stuff. So listening to Brian Downey, I mean, what a fantastic drummer. I mean, wow. And that sound, live sound he got, you know. Yeah, well, and, and, and having oh. that hi-hat work in, in ultimately, oh. you know, a two-guitar rock band or, you know, where, you know that hi-hat work in any kind of rock band was cool because it was, it, was, it was different. You know, it wasn't ACDC yeah. or four on the floor. It was like, oh. wow, he's doing something there oh. that I don't know what it is. Oh, he was doing some beautiful stuff. He, he, was, he was so tasty. Yeah, I mean, and that's live sound. Live and dangerous. You know, I've never met Brian. I would love to meet Brian and, and talk to him. You know about that. You know, and he had the old Rogers kit, the Rogers drums from the seventies that were so amazing sounding. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think uh, Camco made the shells for them, and I think DW bought them. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I remember so, the old Camco stuff. I used to have an old Camco uh, kick drum pedal. Oh wow. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, DW bought them. That's why I'm with DW. I love DW. So I've been with DW since 95. They really take care of me so good. They're awesome, you know? So you, you sent me a couple of uh, tracks today, which we'll play when we uh, end the interview here, uh, a band yeah. called Custard Pie. What? Tell me about that. What is okay. that? Okay, this is the story. So during the pandemic, uh, obviously no one was doing shit. I built my studio, and uh, I, I was hanging out with Rowan Robertson from Dio. Sure. You know, who I work with. We still work together. Uh, he came over, and we, and we said, uh, you know, he said, why don't we do some recording, you know? And he said, I, he said, I've got this singer from India. He found this singer 
he has a bank um, in India that's doing pretty well, actually. They do all the festivals in Europe. Um, and uh, we grabbed him, and me and Rowan started writing. I write on bass, and, and we wrote, like, three songs and recorded them. We sent out the tracks to the guy in India. He recorded his uh, vocals, and I, we mixed it. I got my guy in New Jersey to mix it. Um, we did a video for one of them, uh, Fall in Love, which is one of the songs. We did a video for that. Me and Rowan did the video on our side in the desert. And the singer in India went to his desert and recorded his. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It's, so, a new, it's a new time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. So we're pretty proud of what we did. You know, uh, our favorite one is the Eye of the Storm. And actually, me and Rowan wrote the lyrics to that. Um, and there's a great video for that, too. But, uh, yeah, we're proud of what we did. But obviously, the singer's got his own band, Gurish in the Chronicles, they're called. You know, a new band. All his brothers, all the Indian guys and stuff. So, you know, and I think they're with Frontier Records. Um, gotcha, okay. And I think Gurish is going to talk to Frontier, maybe see if they're interested in maybe releasing some stuff, you know. Um, but we, we've got a good little uh, writing partnership, me and Rowan, you know. Are you on uh, bass or drums on on that, or bass and drums? Well, I well I write the stuff on bass. Gotcha. Um, but I I do play some bass on it. Um, and uh, but the, the Eye of the Storm is pretty complicated. It's sort of progish. So we got Gurish's brother, bass player in India, to play bass on it, and he does a fantastic job, you know. Um, so if it's simple, so I'm not a very technical bass player, I'm pretty basic, but he came and did the bass on that, it's, it's awesome, you know? Right on, and then you are filling in for Blas Elias over at Rating uh, the Rock Vault, which, yes. which is taking place, they've, they've moved around, so where, where's Rating the Rock Vault, and uh, when can you see that here in Las Vegas? Okay, tonight is, my, is our last night, they're having a break for the 22nd of December, and I'm, I'm playing all the way to the end of the year. So they have dates at the end of uh, December. Um, it's at it's at the Rio, a uh, little room there down down the bottom, on the left if you go in. Um, yeah, it's a nice, cute room. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So you know, uh, what's what's the backstory on rating the Rock Vault as far as you know? What what is that show? I know there's a bunch of people from a bunch of different bands like Oni Logan. Yeah. You mentioned Rowan Robertson, and you guys. Yeah, uh, what, what kind of stuff do you do there? It's been going for ten years. The show. Um, and they have like four four singers on stage, three guys and a girl. They have two dancers. Um, Michael T. Ross is the keyboard player. Rowan Robertson's guitar player. And they've had a lot of different people over the years. Uh, the musical director was Howard Lease from Heart. Sure, he's the one that put the show together. Uh, it's a bunch of. It's basically the history of rock and roll from the sixties to the eighties. So the first song is My Generation, and the last song is Jump, Van Halen. Ah, and everything in between. It's a great show, man. It's, it's really, it's a hard show. I tell you, it's not easy. There's some medleys in there. Uh, it's tricky. You know, I didn't realize how tricky playing Stairway to Heaven was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, right? He makes, Bonham just makes it sound so easy, you know, and then I you know. sit down and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> I know, I know. That was a lot. Oh my God, what is the count on that? I, I've, I've been doing it. Uh, it's a fun show, you know, it's a little bit nerve wracking, but, you know, I like, I, again, I like to have something to strive for. I like, I like to, you know, challenge. Challenges is important to me, you know. Yeah, I feel like the challenge is what what kind of keeps you going. You throw yourself in some uh, different yeah. situations. For example, you did a, a little time with Bow Wow Wow, and and uh, oh yeah, that, that, there's there's a band that uh, <laughs> isn't oh like my. you can't just so sit down and learn. The only the only reason that I got that gig is because when I was in New York, I joined an Irish band. I was doing Irish music, um, and I tell you what, you know, learning the Irish music really helped me when it got to the Bow Wow Wow stuff. I mean, Bow Wow Wow stuff is like a constant drum solo the whole song. Right, yeah, a lot of percussive kind of vibe so to much. it, yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. And um, so I got the gig, uh, it completely changed my kit. It's like two timbales, you know, took away the toms. It was it was crazy, but it was so good to do. And it was tr really tricky. I did really, really do my homework on that, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? But uh, the, so Custard Pie, it took us ages to come up with that name. <laughs> it's like, we were going through so many names. It was like, oh, my God. And then we ended up with Custard Pie. 
you know, because we're both uh, really big uh, Zeppelin fans, me and Rowan. Um, and uh, and we recorded the tracks, and they're out there on Spotify, you know. And I sent you two of them. I just sent you, uh, ho- ho- uh, yeah, the, the first one we did. And then Eye of the Storm is our favorite one, you know? Yeah, so we'll spin Eye of the Storm as well as yeah. uh, Fool in Love. Fool uh, in Love. Yeah. yeah, when we wrap up with you, we'll play that uh, uninterrupted. Anything else you're working on? What, uh, you know, what do you see yourself doing in, in, say, three to five years? You know, because you're out there doing Petty and the Heart Shakers. You're playing bass well, in various um, bands, doing a lot of session it, work, jingles. I'm, I might be subbing for a, um, a Boston tribute, which would be awesome. Oh, wow, well, there you go. Killer, man. I mean, I get excited about certain things. And, you know, Boston, their music is so fantastic. You like to throw yourself into the fire, Les. <laughs> well, I know. It's, I it's know. admirable, I dude. I'm trying to I find the easy able, gigs. I wouldn't be able to do a Rush tribute. I mean, I, I, I know my limits. Yeah. I know my limits. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the Boston stuff, oh, my God. I'm so excited about that. And I'm doing a Bon Jovi tribute, you know. I mean, the tribute stuff pays good money, you know. And you know what I mean? It's decent money. And it's fine. So, I, I, you know, I never know what's going to happen. You know, I, I just go with the flow. I'm working on my health. You know I mean? I think when you get to our age, from my age, you know, you've got to take care of yourself. So and, it's doing- a, and, and, and as you get older, you know, I just hit 50. I find that it's a lot harder to take care of yourself because it is. The, the body doesn't bounce back like it used to. Yeah. So I'm doing boxing training. I, I just joined the May, Mayflower Boxing Gym, which is awesome. Mayweather, sorry, Mayweather. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I just joined that. I mean, I've been doing the boxing for a while, and that's really great. I love it. That is so rad. Hey, anything we missed uh, while going through uh, the history? I mean, I know there's tons of uh, great stories that uh, I will continue to, to hit you up about when I see you out in about yeah. in town. But uh, did we did we cover everything? Other than we we got to make sure we know how to find you, which of course is your website, lesswater.com. Yeah, I, mean, I have a website. I, I sort of websites are strange. I think I, I feel sometimes they're redundant you know, a bit, you know, because everyone uses Facebook so much and Instagram. Sure, you know what I mean. I'm not sure how to use my my uh, um, website, but it, it's it's leswarner.com. It's simple, um, and there's a lot of information on there. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I advertise myself as a session drummer on there. There's information of what I've done and some video stuff on there, you know? And links to uh, your um, social media as well so you can keep up uh, with your yeah. day-to-day stuff. Right on, right yeah, on, man. Pretty much. I mean, it's also Facebook and Instagram these days, right? It, I mean, that's how yeah. I communicate a lot with people, you know? Yeah, it, it's a, it, it really is a wonderful thing, and sometimes it's not a wonderful thing, depending on how other people use it. But uh, if you need a session drummer, and you don't even have to be in town, you can hire Les. He'll do the tracks for you. He'll right. send them in an email, and boom, you're oh, good. Oh, yeah. We transfer. It's my friend. There you go. I sent out wave files. Yours and mine. We transfer. Uh, yeah, it's a real simple process. You know what I mean? It really is. And then PayPal. You know, you pay, you know, <laughs> pretty easy these days, really. Yep, you, you know? need two websites, WeTransfer and PayPal. But think about this, man. You come from the old school of uh, p- playing to tape, no click, with Rick Rubin st- staring at you with his arms crossed, playing straight through that <laughs> album to now you're like, you know, look at you, modern technology, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning a lot of stuff because I'm doing a lot of my own engineering. So there's a lot of stuff I need to learn you know, uh, with engineering, stuff like that. So it's constantly learning. I mean, I'm still learning drums, you know. I, I'm still getting I'm getting lessons, drum lessons from this guy who's, who's teaching me rudiments, intricate rudiment stuff, you know. That's that's awesome. That is, no, that's you know, great, man. Gonna, it's an ever, a never-ending thing to learn your instrument and your craft, absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Constantly learning, constantly, you know. I mean, you look at these drummers on, on Instagram and these little... Little girls that are 12, 15. It's like, what <laughs> no, they're, like, they're playing like double bass, like, like you know, 160 BPMs, double bass. I'm going, what? Oh, my God. Oh. I'm like, that's it. Drum set for sale. <laughs> I want to do that. I, how come I can't do that? You know? <laughs> Les, it's been an honor and a pleasure yes, to finally have you. you on the show, man. Uh, go kick ass at Rating the Rock Vault tonight I at the Palms. And I appreciate having on, man. You got a lot of great stories, and I know there's a bunch more in your back pocket, and I hope to yeah. pick your brain again. And I want to come yeah. by and check out your studio too, bro. Oh, yes, I, definitely, definitely. I want you to come over and hear my drum sound. 
I got this little, I got a bedroom. There's nothing in the bedroom but the drum kit, and it's all tile floors and windows and mirrors. And it sounds like the power station. Oh, awesome. man. Awesome. I, I love a drummer. Only a drummer would have a room that actually lets the drums sound like drums. Everybody else is oh, trying oh, to yeah. dampen oh, them all yeah. the time. It's amazing. The live <laughs> sound in there is phenomenal. We did, me and Rowan did like a Christmas song this morning. So I just did a, a knocked out a drum track for a Christmas song. Uh, Megan Ruger's going to sing it. Um, yeah, it was just for the crack, you know, it's fun, you know. Right on, man. Listen, thanks for coming on this at any other radio show. Les Warner, my guest, uh, former member of the cult and currently in a bunch of bands. You can find him at leswarner.com, leswarner.com, and find all his socials there. Bro, have a good one. Happy holidays if I don't see you before the holiday season. But uh, I'm going to hit you up uh, at some point. I want to come by, check out your studio, and and, and do a little hang with you. Please, let me know. I mean, after tonight, I've got a break till the 22nd. All right. So, yeah, uh, definitely call me up next week and come over. It's going to happen. All right. Take care, brother. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Rock and roll. There goes Les Warner, formerly of The Cult. And, uh, hey, we we got some nitty-gritty stories. I had no idea that he had a a friendship with Phil Lynott, which uh, is near and dear to this radio show, Heart. And, uh, man, what a cool chat with him. I've known Les for, for years. And when you see each other, when you're out there gigging and, and, you know, supporting each other on shows... You don't have time to get into all this stuff, but I've always wanted to ask him some of these questions. So, hey, let's get into some custard pie. I'm going to uh, crack a Natty Light. I've got bowling in, uh, God, one hour. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, this and the other radio show, DirtyRadio.fm, Channel 2, Dirty Radio Classics. Les Warner, you rule. Troy Patrick Farrell from This, That, and the Other radio show. Tune in to This, That, and the Other every Wednesday live from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here only at Dirty Radio Classics. Playing the biggest rock bands of all time. This is the best part of the trip. 